0: if you are international and want to add that to your calendar so you don't have to do all the time conversions, head on over to lovereality.org slash circles and add the internet church circle to your calendar. Welcome back to The Move. We're vibrant through the book, 10 minutes at a time. I'm your host, Justin Koo, and in today's episode, we're talking about that part of the Bible that everyone skips over. Yes, it's the fun times. It's the genealogies. It's the part that, let's be real, no one really actually reads. Um, and it's the second one in this series of passages. And my guest for today's episode is none other than Pastor Jonathan Leonardo. Are you going to do that every time? <laughs> I'm thinking about doing it because uh, it, it just has this ring to it. And I love the fact that you're a pastor because you did not expect that this would be your lot in life.
2: No, I did not. You know what? That's not that that's that, that's not true. I knew this would be a lot, my lot in life. I just was reluctant to do it, and I tried to find so many ways to not.
0: So you were cosplaying Jonah, is what I'm hearing.
2: Uh, not, not necessarily, because, you know, I was in ministry. I've been in ministry for a long time. I probably did the Jonah thing maybe 15, 20 years ago, or maybe even a little less, right? But, you know, I was in ministry and all that, but I certainly was sort of reluctant to be settled down in an office and in a day-to-day rhythm in one place you know me man i'm always you know how it is you call it's
0: it's like you when we call each other
2: it's always like justin what's up where you at what's the
0: next thing what's the next hustle yeah and it's and when when we talk to to each
2: other it's never i know you're in oregon you might be in right you know mexico florida
0: who knows did you happen using the jonah story did you happen to have a whale kind of incident in your life um i got married i don't know that was your whale, isn't it? You got swallowed up and that was the whale. <laughs> I got
2: I got swallowed up in marriage and I was like, I should settle down.
0: <laughs> well, there you go. Well, now you're settled. And now we're we're back to the move. Um, By the way, I should mention we are looking at Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 to 32, which is a, a genealogy. But to kind of get us started, you were mentioning that you wanted to be able to tie Genesis 4, which we just covered with Harold in the previous episode, in order for us to make sense of what's happening in Genesis chapter 5. So why don't you start us off there? I have a handful of questions I want to ask about the passage, but I think let's, let's just get some backwards context in order to make sense of today's episode. Episode. Yeah.
2: Okay. Listen. Good. Let's talk about the text and how it functions. All right. Okay. Uh, the text is written very intentionally. This text that we're dealing with, particularly in the Hebrew, it's very written very intentionally. There is not one yacht or one tittle, which are two uh, Hebrew letters, right? right? Not mm-hmm. one yod or one tittle that is missed. It's all very intentional. The text is what we call very terse, right? Very jam packed, right? There is a lot and a little. I think we talked about this when we unpacked the first word of Genesis, which is berashit, in beginning. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. you go back to an earlier episode, I believe, with the first episode, I, I would imagine yep. episode one, right? Yep, yep, yep. You see how terse the text is, just by what the first word is. Um, there is. That's always at play. So the text is intentional. It's very terse. It's very jam packed. The text is also designed. It has literary beauty, but it also has intentional design. And one of the ways that it's designed is it has what's called parallel structure. There are Hmm. parallel structures, and you see that very clearly in our genealogies. So you have a genealogy in the end of Genesis 4, which is the line of Cain. Boom one structure right and that Mm. structure follows in order cain uh begat enoch enoch begat right he goes something right and it goes down well in genesis 5 you see a a similar para uh, a similar genealogy in genesis 5 that parallel one another right so in genesis Mm -hmm. 4 you have this line of cain in genesis 5 we have a line of seth right and the mm-hmm. interesting thing about these genealogies is that they are intended to mirror one another in order to highlight uh via contrast and comparison the hmm. the descent or the maybe the development. Uh let me say it this way. It's meant to contrast and compare in order to carry the narrative forward. Right? Hmm. We can say that way. So,
0: so what- What I'm hearing is that as much as it might seem to the kind of cursory view of Scripture um, that sometimes you're wondering, well, There's clearly no reason why that's there. That just happens to be maybe a throwaway paragraph or throwaway maybe even chapter. Nothing in in scripture, if we're taking the view that God inspires scripture, that nothing is kind of wasted space. None of it is just empty words. There's all some kind of greater meaning behind it. Um, What I'm hearing for the genealogies, at least in chapter four and chapter five, is that there's uh, a parallel. There's a similarity between the two as well as a difference. And it's meant to highlight a certain uh, theme. And and it's immediately calling back to um, season one of the move. When we talked about Adam one versus Adam two, there's absolutely a comparison that's taking Mm -hmm. place, but there's also a very clear divide and difference to show kind of Uh, where we stand in relationship to both of these atoms. So is is that a fair kind of summary with what you're saying so far?
2: Absolutely. If you were to go to Romans 5, which you just alluded to, you have Adam 1 and Adam 2. And Adam 1 and Adam 2 have list words that fall under their respective realities. And those list Mm -hmm. words never actually transgress the boundary. Those list words stay within their realm. None of the words are shared between the two, right? And that contrast Mm -hmm. and comparison is meant to elicit something as we actually consider the realities that these two atoms uh, initiate and bring to pass. The same is at work in Genesis 4 and Genesis 5. Let's look at it right away, right? If we can get to it. All right, let's go. Look at Genesis 5. Genesis 5 tells us exactly what it is, right? It says, this Hmm. is the book of the generations of whom? This is the generations Of of Adam, right? Right there, it should cause you to contrast something that you just read. If you were to go back to Genesis 4, you see that at the end of Genesis 4, the list of the generations does not begin with Adam. It begins with whom? It begins with uh, Cain. Cain. You see that? Uh, it begins yep, with Cain. Yep, yep, verse 17. Yeah. But who is Cain's father?
0: Adam. Adam. Why is it? So it's interesting that they just cut Adam out of the picture entirely. Why did they cut Adam out of the
2: picture entirely? What is does intend? What's mm-hmm. happening here? Now, if you go back to Genesis 5, And you look at the list of the people who are born, right? You go from Mm -hmm. Adam to Seth. Seth goes to Enosh. Enosh goes to Canaan. Canaan goes to Mahalalel. Uh, Mahalalel goes to Jared, right? And And from Jared, Enoch, Enoch, right? Now, if you start with Adam and you count
0: all the way to Enoch, how many men are there? I'm going to do the Adventist guess, and it's probably right. It's seven is my guess. Seven,
2: seven, seven, <laughs> seven, right? So okay. you, you see that uh, seven, right? And and yeah. the reason that's important is because the text is very terse and has a lot of meaning. It has a lot of uh, symbolism that it's indicating, that it's uh, signaling to us in order to tell us something about the narrative. And mm-hmm. When you follow these seven men, there is a formula in Genesis 5 that seems to work for every single man all the way up to the seventh, right? And if hmm. you watch this, Adam, right? You see Adam verse 3, when Adam had lived 130 years, fathered a son in his own likeness, his own image, his name was Seth. Uh, the days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Adam uh, were 930. And then he what? Hmm. Then he died. Then he died. Look at verse eight. Tells us about Seth. The days of Seth were 912 years and then he died. Died. Look at verse 11. The days of Enosh were 905 and then he died. Died. Verse 14. All the days of Canaan were 910 and then he
0: died as well. Verse
2: 16. The days of Mahalalel after he fathered Jared were 830. Uh, verse 17. And then he died. died. Verse 18. Jared lived 800 years, uh, sons and daughters, and then he
0: died. died. Verse
2: twenty, And then we get to uh, verse 23. This is the seventh mm. man from Adam. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Isn't that fascinating?
0: 365, mm. that number. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And then what does verse 24 tell us? What What should you expect in this structure?
0: I I think, well, I guess even whether or not it's the structure, but the fact that it's a human, you would think the story is that he died. This is actually one of the questions I had written down for for our our text today, but it says that Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And... uh, at first reading, I wouldn't know what that means because what does that all mean? But I do remember the felt stories growing up in Sabbath school as a young kid and remember talking about Enoch as one of the very few people that never actually saw death because at some point in his life, he ends up like literally going to heaven and he didn't need to die. Like God just like poof, took him. up. I don't know exactly. Or is Enoch the one that came up in chariots of fire? Is that is that his story? No, no, no. That's Elijah. That's it. That's Elijah. Oh, see, I'm, I get my felt stories mixed up. They're all the same to me. <laughs> okay, but Enoch is the one that did go up to heaven. Uh, he never died. Yeah, and he walked with God,
2: right? He had mm-hmm. a son, walked with God. God took him. He was no more. He's the seventh man, the perfect man, the seventh man from Adam, the first man. Mm-hmm. And the promise of God to actually undo the consequences of sin, which are death, are brought to fruition in the seventh man who walked with mm-hmm. God.
0: Mm-hmm. You That's see, cool. go back to yeah, Genesis yeah. four now. Okay.
2: And if you go back to Genesis four, look at the, you see the same thing, verse 17, right? Mm-hmm. Canaan, Cain. Notice it doesn't mm-hmm. start with Adam. All of a sudden there's a departure here, right? Right. Yeah. Can, but the names are kind of similar. Canaan gives birth yeah. to, you have Cain number one. He gives birth to who?
0: Enoch. Enoch. Uh-huh. And Enoch. Enoch to Irad. Irad. Irad Erad. to Mahujahel. I not say that. Right? There you go. Thank Mahusha you.
2: Mahujahel to Methushael, Methushael mm-hmm. to Lamech. Look mm-hmm. how many men it is. We're at six already. We're at six. But if you were to insert the man that's been omitted, which is Adam, mm-hmm. what are mm-hmm. we at? That would have been seven. That would have been seven. So we are, we arrive at the seventh man from Adam. The text omits Adam, makes it the mm. sixth man, because mm. six, what do we know of six in relationship to seven? It's imperfection. It's not, yeah,
0: it's not quite there. Not
2: quite there. And notice what the sixth man is. Sixth man is Lamech, the one who mm. increases the violence that Cain introduced. Mm. The one who says, if Cain is avenged seven times, I'll be avenged how many times? Seven, seven. Right. Right, And then look at verse 25 and verse 25, all of a sudden reintroduces Adam and Adam knew his mm. wife again, and she bore him a son, and called him Seth. Mm. So what 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 are we, what are we seeing here? The source head, Adam, right? There's already yeah. a departure and a de- deviation. One of mm-hmm. them follows the intended purpose of humanity, even in some sort of corruption, right? Because of the fall. right? And then mm-hmm. the other one's just a complete deviation. That brings in what Harold highlighted in the previous episode, this Mm -hmm. untold woe, murder. It's a full descent into foolishness. One Mm. line, yeah, there's death in both lines, but one line gets to that sixth man, which should have been the seventh man, but he's the sixth man, and it's all sorts of violence and sin Mm. and evil, but you get to the seventh man in the other line, and the promise is faithful. God Mm. is faithful. Right, and so you so, see this parallel structure intended to reveal
0: these things to us. So, so the purpose of these genealogies is to highlight the faithfulness and the trustworthiness of God's promise that He will, in fact, uh, maybe maybe this is a, a kind of a sampling of the Messiah who's going to come and who's going to redeem. I, I, the the words that are coming to mind are first fruits. Is, is that an application here? Um, I, I, from what I understand, uh, there is a time in like uh, Jewish agriculture where they would have kind of the beginning of their harvest and they would take some of the first fruits or the first crops, they would offer it to God as a sacrifice and then later on the full harvest would blemish. And I, and if I read if I remember reading somewhere Jesus was like a first fruit offering to God or something along those lines. Yeah, this might not even be related. I'm just kind of stabbing yeah, yeah. in the dark. Is there no?
2: There's an agricultural uh, symbolism there that's intended to reveal uh, the prophecy of the seed to come. And mm-hmm. at the festival of, of first fruits, when they waved the sheaf, that's at the mm-hmm. same very similar time when Jesus would have uh, resurrected, right? Uh, right. or, or so, so is
0: Enoch that. meant to be like an example of the It's a, it's a, it's a sampling of the promise to come? Is, is this kind of the idea that's being highlighted here in the text?
2: Uh, I, I believe so. Uh, w- one of the ways that the text are, are, also functions is that it it repeats and expands. It repeats and expands. Mm-hmm. This, it does this all the time. One of the great places that you could see this is actually in the book of Daniel. If you read the book of Daniel, the prophecies repeat and they expand. They repeat, they expand. Particularly if you go from um, Daniel chapter 2 and then you fast forward to Daniel chapter 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 seven through nine, there's a repetition and expansion, right? Um, You get this in the 2300 day prophecy. You get this in the 1260 day prophecy. It's, it's, it's very interesting, right? All the way up to the coming of the Messiah in Daniel nine, that same, that same element, that same functionality, that same tool um, is present already here in Genesis, right? That there's a repetition Mm -hmm. and expansion. And one of the repetitions that we see here in the text is this uh, repetition of, Brother against brother and mm. uh, an exile, right? An exile occurs, but the promise of return brother against brother an exile occurs. But the promise of return, um, where do we see this? We see this first in Adam and Eve. They have intimately not well, family against family, right? You see Adam and Eve, there's a breaking of the family and the family of God. There's an exile. They're kicked out of the, uh, the garden, but there's a promise of return. Right. You Mm -hmm. see this again at play in the genealogies of Cain and in the genealogy of Adam via Seth, that there Mm -hmm. is a rendering, uh, uh, not a rendering. uh, Yeah. 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 It's it's Mm -hmm. broken, ripped apart. Right. Yeah. The family. And then there is an exile. Right. And what is this exile? This exile is seemingly into death. Right. Mm -hmm. They're both being exiled into death. Both the line of Cain and the line of Seth through Adam are being exiled into death. But only one line actually has the fruition of the promise of return. And that's seen in Enoch. And then through the book of Genesis, and I'm sure others will point this out. You see this motif of exile and return, family ripped apart, exile, return. Another clear place that you're Mm going to see this is the story of Joseph. Right. Mm -hmm. Another place you're going to see this is the story of Abraham. Another place you're going to see this. We won't get into it is in exodus in the exile return family ripped apart Mm -hmm. exile return always always always. So there's this repetition and expansion along this idea and every time that that idea is presented it is a prophetic revelation. It is prophetic in order to get us to think about this theme over and over That should actually come to pass in the promised one of Genesis 315. Mm. So these stories, these motifs are meant to actually frame the mind according to this expectation that will be fulfilled according to God's initial promise that he made all the way back in the garden. Hmm. It's it's a fascinating thing how these narratives are intended to work to actually shape, cultivate and discipline our minds to think in a particular way. It's opening up a whole realm of reality to us.
0: Right. So every time that we are tempted to think, man, is God going to be coming through? Is he going to be faithful to our promises? We're meant to recall the stories of, yeah, there was separation, there was exile, there was death and destruction. There was, there was all these different things. And yet look at the faithfulness of God and how he still was keeping was acting in keeping with his promise and with his character. And the take home, I guess, is that, is that he's going to be doing the same for us and that we can rest assured knowing that our deliverance is, is already accomplished as well.
2: Yeah, the, the takeaway is always, you know, God is faithful, right? Mm. God is mm. faithful. And and just 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 as a a hyperlink here that we just mentioned about Daniel, you see the same thing in the book of Daniel in Daniel chapter nine, when Daniel is praying and interceding on behalf of his nation. It is because he is within struggling with the idea that he is still in exile in Babylon. The question is, mm-hmm. when will we return? When will we mm-hmm. return? And that that motif of exile return was all the way back at the beginning. So you see that that motif carries through the history of Israel, even to those people who were not Israel, right? Because Abraham, well, uh, Cain and Abel and Seth, they weren't Jews, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But it, it thematically carries through scripture, it repeats and it expands. And so the text is very intentionally written in this way. And even the genealogies reveal this grand prophetic arc that will find its fulfillment in the person of Jesus as the one man who dies and also comes to life so that these two parallel lines can be actually united in him.
0: Amen. I love it. I love seeing these <laughs> themes emerge from Scripture. This is awesome. So uh, what I'm what I'm taking from this is that maybe as I am tempted to kind of skip over portions of Scripture, uh, it's worth a second glance. It's worth looking at and thinking on because, like you were saying at the beginning, not one jot, not one tittle is there by accident. It's not uh, empty words, but there is, in fact, some revelation of who God is in every section of Scripture
2: yeah that the text is tapestry the text is artistry and if we wrestled with it and endured with it a little longer it will unfold itself to us like a beautiful masterpiece and that's the thing is that we're so uh, accustomed in this world of getting the immediacy of an mm. explanation via a button and the text doesn't work that way right the text is mm-hmm. meant to be pondered and chewed like
0: like a cow bringing up cud that's a very attractive analogy yeah well it's biblical (laughs) awesome well we'll be back here chewing our cud tomorrow for our next episode actually no this is episode number 10 we'll be back next week or in our next episode uh being able to dissect and to chew on and to to think on the scriptures 10 minutes at a time Something I want to highlight for you guys in today's episode is this book. It's called The Road, and it's written by my friend, Pastor Marcos Torres. Um, if you're only listening to this episode, you can check it out at thestorychurchproject.com. That's thestorychurchproject.com. And the reason why I wanted to highlight this book is because I think in this episode of maybe all the episodes that we've talked about so far if we's, is that we have highlighted the need for a larger uh, view of scripture, a bigger paradigm of scripture. We do this thing where we like to look at four verses at a time or one verse at a time if you're like kind of like this quoted on Instagram kind of culture kind of thing, right? Where it's like, this is what it means, but we have no way to connect it to the greater narrative of scripture. So all that to say, this is why the road is valuable, because it actually provides somewhat of a framework to help us understand the larger narrative scripture. Um, That's a very hard thing to do in a singular social media post. It's a very hard thing to do even in one season of an entire podcast, even though we're going to do like 100 episodes, like we're only able to handle bite-sized pieces at a time. And really, there's this need for a larger picture to inform. As you could tell right now, this is something that uh, is very valuable to even a genealogy? How does this fit in the larger picture? How does this fit in the larger tapestry? And so if you are new to scripture or if you are still trying to develop this kind of maybe 30,000 foot view of scripture, this has been a very helpful resource. There's a lot of things that I could say about this. One of the things that I will say is that this book was actually written for those who kind of have a non-Christian slash like secular background many of the people that I have seen come to faith from this type of paradigm have a lot of very important questions and they love Jesus and they accept the gospel. But how does that fit in with so many different areas? It's, it's kind of a tough question to wrestle unless you have someone who can guide you through that process. And I found that this book has been pretty helpful. Now, full disclosure, um, I will always let you know when there is a sponsored post for this show Uh, and the vast majority of our kind of shout outs at the end of an episode are not paid sponsorships. They're just, Hey, we want to give a shout out because we love these people. We love the project that are happening. This is one of those that I do love and also happens to be a a way to support the show. And so I'm going to actually make a big ask. I know that at the end of every episode, you may or may not be inclined to look at the project or the podcast or the book that we're highlighting. But since this is a paid sponsor and Pastor Marcos is a close personal friend, do me a favor. Check it out. See the way that they break it down on the website and see if this is something that's interesting for you. If you're like me and you're trying to figure out how do we contextualize our presentation of the gospel and our presentation of the picture of God to an increasingly secular world, this book will be a very helpful resource. And I know that there's a lot of you guys now that are are, are seeking, how do I share this with my, my pagan barber, for example, like my good old friend Chico, who many of you guys know from previous stories on different podcasts. Um, this is the kind of resource that would be very helpful. Pastor Monacos is a pastor in Australia, uh, which is a very secular-minded uh, area. And this is the resource that has been developed after years of on-the-ground ministry Responding to questions, thinking about how gospel integrates with secular culture and all that kind of stuff. So, yes, it is a sponsored post, but also I, I I don't take the sponsored post because I don't like it. I take it because I love it and I think it'll be something that you will enjoy. So, check it out. Again, that website is thestorychurchproject.com. You can also find that kind of stuff on social media. We'll include links to um, his website, his blog. In fact, his blog hosts some of the members of the show. He shared with me this morning a blog post with Pastor Kesia Rain. So I know that a lot of us on the show are familiar with and are friends to his ministry, and I think that you will enjoy his book. Again, that is the storychurchproject.com.